Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. And, uh, let's look at Matthew 28, and uh, we're going to read beginning in verse 16, which says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, every time we read these words, we're convicted, and we pray that you would help us to open our hearts anew and afresh to this passage. Thank you for Pastor Dennis and his family and these wonderful people here tonight. Father, please bless this church. May they be a great lighthouse in this region. May they see many souls saved until you come again, Lord. We pray that your hand would be on this work. And so bless our time in your word tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, the Bible says after the resurrection of the Lord that he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. And it's really amazing when you study the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus to think about the fact that he was seen alive by more than 1,500 eyewitnesses. I'm so glad that we have a faith that can be defended and a Savior that has resurrected from the dead. And so it was. 1,500 people saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 28, he said to these disciples in verse 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and they worshiped him. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there they shall see me. So on this occasion, in the early portion of Matthew 28, some of the disciples saw Jesus, they're worshiping him, they're holding on to his feet, and he says, go and tell my brethren to meet me in Galilee. And as we come to the end of the chapter, we're going to find Jesus with his brethren, his disciples, as they are meeting him there for the last time before his ascension. And we see his followers gathering to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And beside these 11 disciples, Judas Iscariot, of course, is now out of the picture. But besides these 11 disciples, there are over 500 other followers of Christ that are present in this particular moment. And we recognize as they gather around the Lord Jesus, there were obviously some mixed responses and people trying to figure out what's going on. In fact, the Bible tells us in verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And so there were some that were not sure of what they were seeing and others were absolutely sure of what they saw and they were worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I'd like you to focus on tonight is these 11 men. These 11 disciples, they were the first 
called out assembly of believers. These, these 11 men are now going to receive the great commission. Now, I believe, along with your pastor, that these 11 men really comprise the first called out assembly of believers. Uh, sometimes we use the word ecclesia. It means a, a church, a called out assembly of believers. And Jesus called these men out on the shores of Galilee. And so this first gathering of men, this first church is now right around the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is going to give them the commission to go into all the world with the gospel of Jesus. Later, at the day of Pentecost, they're going to receive the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit and the power that came by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But even before Pentecost, he's gathering this church, and, and these men are going to make his last command their first priority. And this is why the world was changed. And this is why 20 to 30% of the Roman Empire turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because these 11 men are going to make his last command their first priority. And he gathers them together and he challenges them. And then the Bible records and history records that the world was turned upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now... Sometimes we speak about being a disciple of Christ. Uh, one of the things that we've tried to emphasize at Lancaster Baptist is what we call discipleship or helping people after they're saved to get grounded in their faith. I wrote a book called Continued Discipleship and about 600 churches across the nation are using that. And what is the purpose of it? It is to help people become fully equipped and committed followers of Jesus Christ. And as we look at these 11 men, there is no doubt that they were fully committed. In fact, if you study their lives in the Bible and in history, you'll find that all 11 of them were martyred for their faith. Literally, they gave their lives for the faith of Jesus Christ. You cannot be more committed than to be so willing that if they hung you upside down, you counted it as joy if you were stoned, you counted it as joy. These 11 men lived and died for Jesus Christ. And I would like to share with you tonight, in this time of preaching and study, three characteristics of a New Testament disciple. What does it really mean to be a disciple of Christ? To be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? I want you to notice, first of all tonight, the worship of a true disciple. The worship of a true disciple. I really believe that everything begins with worship, and I can tell that Pastor enjoys singing, enjoys the time of uh, worshiping in song and, and, uh, and the worshiping around the Word of God. Why is that so important? It always begins there, does it not? Jesus, remember what he said when he called out the disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. You see, worship is always going to precede work if we have the order right in the Bible. If we do not have our heart right with God, we will not serve God. And so the worship of a true disciple, I see it in verse 17. The Bible says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Now notice just a few really basic things about worship tonight. I want you to notice the worship of a true disciple, first of all, is always focused on Jesus Christ. 
focused on Jesus Christ. When they saw him, they worshiped him. I one time had a lady of another denomination say, the problem with you Baptists is that you do not believe in the Holy Spirit of God, and nothing could be farther from the truth. We believe the Holy Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity. We believe the Holy Spirit of God is not to be grieved. He is not to be quenched. We are to pray in the Spirit. We are to walk in the Spirit. We are to be filled with the Spirit. Baptists believe in the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. But we also believe from John 14 and John 16 that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to show men and women the need for Jesus Christ in their lives. And so we believe that worship is to be focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. And we focus on Christ because he is worthy. He is worthy of our worship. Psalm 95 and verse 6, oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We focus on Christ because he is worthy of our focus. And we focus on Christ because he is the embodiment of truth. He is the truth. In fact, in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. And so we recognize that Jesus Christ is full of grace and he's full of truth. And so oftentimes, times today, uh, we see churches that have a lot of excitement. They have so-called praise and worship, and, and uh, many times they have some fervency. But if they do not have the truth, it is simply emotional worship. Now, when you focus on Christ, and your focus on Christ and his truth brings emotion, that's a wonderful thing. But if it's emotion without truth, that's a dangerous thing. And Jesus Christ was the focus of their worship because he is the creator God. He is the truth. He is uh, our understanding of God, and he is God in the flesh. John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And in fact, worship that is focused on Christ is a life-changing worship. You see, many times I meet people that, that emphasize worship one day a week, but then the rest of the week, there's no change in their life. It's because they're not focusing really on who Jesus is and the power that he brings within us. The Bible says in Romans 12 in verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word transform speaks of a metamorphosis. It speaks of being changed from the inside out. And the more we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and his word and his attributes, then we can be transformed into his likeness. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 29 that we are to be conformed to his image. And so it is that worship will help us to live a Christ-centered life. And their worship focused on Jesus Christ. Thank God tonight that you're in a church that makes much of Jesus Christ that lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ. I see that their worship was focused on Christ, but I see something also. Their worship was followed by service. Their worship was followed by service. You see, worship involves our attitude and it involves our actions. Our attitudes and our actions. 
We're going to see here a church that not only fell down and worshiped Jesus, but in a moment, they went out and served the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you tonight that your service for the Lord is a part of your worship to the Lord as well? It's the outflowing of our worship. I think of the early moments of Christ. Some of you have read this in the Christmas story. But in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, the Bible says, And when they were come into the house, speaking of the wise men, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, what I believe about worship is that if it is truly focused on Christ, that kind of focus will always lead me to have a greater desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Focusing on what he did at Calvary is going to give a response in my heart to serve him, to give to him. And the wise men, when they followed the star and they came and saw the Lord Jesus Christ, their immediate desire after seeing him and worshiping him was to give to him gold and frankincense and myrrh. I'm telling you that people who love Jesus and they're focused on what happened at the cross, they don't have any trouble giving to the Lord or worshiping the Lord in service of some kind. It is the response of a worshipful heart to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me say this to Tonight, cheap worship, and there is such a thing, cheap worship will never bring revival to this country. The kind of worship that's merely a tambourine on the hip and a song once in a while, but that doesn't serve Jesus Christ, that doesn't sacrifice for Jesus Christ, cheap worship will never bring revival to this country. Their worship was not simply that they knelt down and prayed. It was also that they gave and that they served. Their whole life was placed on the altar as an object of their worship for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we see throughout the New Testament. The Bible says in Matthew 4 and 19, he said unto them, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. Listen, and straightway they forsook their nets, and followed him. In other words, nothing else was as important to them as following the Lord Jesus Christ. So worship is not merely a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night thing. Worship is our whole life presented to him as a living sacrifice. That's why these were true disciples. And we see this throughout church history. Time and time again, we read of the uh, apostles who gave their lives in martyrdom. We read of those throughout the dark ages. Many of them are Baptist forefathers who were uh, killed because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I often like to think of a man who I studied for some time named uh, John Huss. He was a Roman Catholic priest in Prague, Czechoslovakia. Through reading the Bible, he realized in 1400 that salvation was not through the church. It was found through Jesus Christ alone. And he began uh, studying the scriptures and finally accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. In 1417, he was taken to a council of Roman Catholic bishops in the city of Constance, Germany. And there in Constance, Germany, he was tried as an heretic because he said salvation was not through the church. It was only through Jesus Christ. His focus was no longer on the sacraments, no longer on the idols, no longer on the Pope. His focus was on Jesus Christ. And he was said to be an heretic because he would only worship Jesus Christ. And because of that, 
They tied him to a stake in Constance, Germany. And I've stood at the very spot where this happened. They lit the light beneath his feet. The faggots, the sticks began to burn. And as they burned, his skin began to literally melt away. And as he is dying, he simply said, What I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. That's a little different than just a bumper sticker on a car, is it not? You see, true worship will always lead us to a life of sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, we need to see today the great need for Christians who are willing to leave their fishing nets, willing to leave their water pots, willing to leave whatever it takes to say, Jesus, you are everything to me. I want to follow you with my whole life, with my whole passion. And oh, we must understand worship is not merely about a mood. Worship is about the truth. Worship is about living for Jesus a life that is true. And so we see, first of all, in these disciples, they had a worship that was meaningful, it was sacrificial, and they were glad to follow everything, uh, to follow Jesus with everything. Sometimes we sing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided, you know that song, to follow Jesus. Sing it with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. This is the mark of a true disciple totally abandoning self to follow Jesus Christ. The worship of a true disciple. Notice secondly, the work of a true disciple. Now we see their worship was very, very meaningful. But let's look at their work. What does God call us to do as disciples? And I want you to see this in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now the work of a true disciple is premised on Christ's authority. It always begins with Christ's authority and power. He says, all power is given unto me. When Jesus gives this great commission, he is reminding his church that what is about to be said was not based on an edict from Washington or Seattle. This was based on a higher authority. That is why during pandemics and other difficult times, while we want to be sensitive to the health issues, we do not want to abandon our God-given responsibility to worship him. The apostles said we ought to obey God rather than men. And here we see the work of a true disciple is premised on this phrase, all power is given unto me. This word power is an interesting word. In the Greek, it is the word excusia. It means the power and authority to rule. And it refers to the fact that there are many ranks of angels and demons and many different ranks of demonic powers, but that Jesus has all power. He has power over all of the demonic world. He has power over all of the evil spirits. And I don't know about you, I'm glad tonight that when I go out soul winning or when I do the work of the Lord, that I'm not doing it alone, but that the Lord is with me and that he has all power. All power. By the way, there are many wicked forces fighting against the church today. But we should not live as though we're on the losing side. We're on the winning side in Jesus Christ. 
He is with us. I remember one time witnessing to a man in Croatia, and he, he had quite an accent, and he, he, I was telling him about salvation, and he stopped me in the middle of it, and he said to me, who is your chef? And I didn't know what he meant by that, and I, I thought, who is my chef? Terry's my chef. I don't know who my chef is. What does he mean by that? And he, said, he kept saying it over and over, who is your chef? And finally, I realized he was saying chief, and, and what he, he, he said, he said, Rome has the pope, and we, and he was some kind of an orthodox religion, we have, and he said the name of some man, and then he said, who is your chef? Well, he was asking, who's in charge of the church that I was a part of? That's what he was trying to ask, and when I finally figured out what he was saying, I said, oh, our chef, our chef is Jesus Christ. He is the head of our church. How many of you are glad tonight that Christ is the head of your church? He says, all power is given unto me. All power is given unto me. He is our chief shepherd. Now we see the work of a true disciple is premised on his authority. And then secondly, it is performed by his power. The work of the church is performed by his power. Our brother tonight who's planting the new work mentioned that. We go out and we, we do what God has called us to do, but it is the Lord that adds unto the church such as should be added. He says, go ye therefore. Notice that in verse 19. Go ye therefore. The therefore is speaking of his authority. Since I have all authority, I want you to go out. And he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, the power for the ministry comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how is that manifested in our lives? Let me give you two ways. First of all, his power is manifested through his word. So whenever you take the word of God and share it with someone, you are sharing a powerful, life-changing message. For the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and oh how we thank God that his word is powerful that it plucks hearts it touches hearts it changes hearts I think of the word of the Lord Jesus as the apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus and suddenly a light shone down from heaven in Acts chapter 9 and Jesus said to him Saul Saul why persecutest thou me it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks and the word of God will prick a heart and convict a heart and we must understand that when Jesus Jesus says, all power is given unto me. He gives to us his word so that we can experience that power in teaching and preaching and in witnessing. But not only does he give us his word, he also has given unto us his Holy Spirit. Remember the day of Pentecost? Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God came rushing in upon the believers, and the Bible commands us to receive and to walk in the Holy Spirit, and we're, we receive the Holy Spirit of God when we accept Christ as our Savior, and God wants us to walk in the power of His Spirit. He wants us to know His presence each and every day. The Bible says it this way in Acts 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now those disciples that walked with Jesus, they had to wait until the day of Pentecost to receive the Holy Spirit. They were living at the very tail end of what we might call the Old Testament economy. And now the New Testament age has come. And so on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and indwelt those believers. It was a magnificent moment. But then we read in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 9 and verse 7, if any man have not the Spirit of God, 
He is none of his. We recognize that when a man is born again, we are born again by the Holy Spirit. And so a man or a woman that is saved, when you ask Jesus into your heart, you receive at that moment his spirit. You are born again by his spirit. And what does that mean? It means that Jesus promises us, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So God says, all power is given unto me. And you say, well, can I have some of that? And he says, you sure can, because I'm living in you now and I want to live through you and the power comes from my spirit and here's my word and the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Sometimes we might feel like, wow, look at the cults. They've got all these big churches. They've got all this money. They've got television stations and, and we struggle just to get by. That's the lie of the devil. We have everything we need in the presence of the Holy Spirit and in the perfect word of God tonight. John 16 in verse 7, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away for if I go not away the comforter will not come unto you but if I depart I will send him unto you and when he has come he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me of righteousness because I go to my father and ye see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged now what does that tell us we learn from John 16 in verse 7 that it is the Holy Spirit himself that will convict lost sinners it's the Holy Spirit himself that will point lost sinners to the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, what I'm trying to tell you tonight is that the power to build the church is not of us. It's all of Christ. It's all of his word. It's all of his spirit. And the spirit of God will touch hearts. And the spirit of God will draw men to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, we may feel inadequate because we are inadequate. But Jesus will do the work through us if we will simply yield ourselves to him. He will bless his word. He will work through the power of the Holy Spirit. I remember several years ago, I was over in Ireland preaching. And we... Uh, uh, landed rather late one evening, and I was to preach the next morning. And uh, the missionary that picked us up was kind of negative, to be honest with you. And I'm not putting him down or anything, but, you know, I came all that way to preach, and it was the 10th anniversary of the church, and he said, Brother Chapel, he said, I just want to tell you that people don't get saved over here as easily as they do in America. It's kind of a hard mission field, and so I just don't want you to expect a whole lot. And he's kind of saying stuff like that. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't fly all the way over here to have... Someone not even expecting God to work. And, and I kind of knew what he was saying, but it was kind of depressing too. And so I, I, I didn't say anything when he said that. I just, just didn't respond. I didn't know what to say. And we got to the hotel, and I said to the pastor and the man that drove us, I said, do you mind if we have a word of prayer over here in the lobby of the hotel? Let's just pray for the meeting tomorrow. And one man that was driving, his name was Mr. Mitchell, he said, Pastor Chapel, would you pray that my wife would be saved tomorrow? He said, she, she's not saved. And, and Ireland is definitely very Catholic. And he said, I just want to pray that she'll be saved. And I said, Mr. Mitchell, I said, do you have a daughter named Ashley in our college? He said, that's my daughter. And I said, because she told me before I came over that, that her mother might come to the service. I said, let's pray for her. We prayed. I came into the auditorium that, that next morning. It was about this size. I guess there's 100 or 200 people there. And I stood up and I preached that morning on the woman at the well. And I don't know how to explain that service other than to say it was like I was just talking with one person. God just kind of brought a peace in there. It just, it just felt like there was a tremendous openness in the service. 
And I spoke about the woman at the well and her religious arguments and how she needed the, 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 the well of water of life springing up within her and how she was saved. And, and uh, they had told me, now don't expect anybody much to get saved in the service. It doesn't happen just like that here. So I had heads bowed and eyes closed. And I said, now with our heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you today realize that you're a sinner and that Christ died for our sin and how many of you would like to ask Jesus Christ to be your savior and could I pray for you and kind of something like that when I said that I said if you'd like me to pray for you just would you lift your hand please and instantly 13 adult hands were raised and I remember thinking well this doesn't happen in Ireland so something's wrong (laughs) and so I said okay let's put our hands down so I got a little stronger I said now let me go over this again if you believe that you are a sinner fallen away from God and and that there's no hope of heaven unless you turn exclusively to Christ and I said and I don't usually say this I said that means turning away from Catholicism that means turning not trusting on anything else just trusting in Jesus I made it as plain as I could then I'd like to pray for you that you'd be saved would you let me pray for you would you just lift your hand please 13 hands went right up and so I prayed for them and I gave the altar call and 13 adults walked forward. They really only had, the pastor and his wife knew how to counsel. They took six and seven and took them off in the side rooms and they were saved. That was back several years ago when texting was just getting going. That might be 10, 15 years ago when I was starting to figure out texting. I was a rebel on texting. I preached against texting, really. You're not, you're not a good fundamental pastor if you don't preach against everything new. And, uh, and I, all I knew about texting was kids did it while I preached, so I didn't like it, you know. <laughs> I was walking out of that service, and uh, my phone started buzzing. And I, I opened it up, and I said to Terry, I said, honey, I think I'm getting a text. Now, this is the honest truth. I'd never texted. I said, I think that's a text. Well, the missionary, he knew exactly what texting was. So he opened up my phone, and, and uh, it was a message. And the, it, said, it said, Ashley, Ashley. And it said, did my mother get saved? And I said to the missionary, how do I tell her yes? He said, you just do this and this. And we typed yes. And then she, then she texted again. And she said, our dorm got up at 4 o'clock this morning, and we all prayed together that my mother would get saved. You know why that service had such power on it? Because a lot of prayer was going up. God's Holy Spirit was working through his word. God's Holy Spirit was working through people that were yielded. And I want you to recognize that the power is not of us. The power is of God. The power is of his word. And we see here in this passage, Jesus Christ telling us that these disciples must go out based upon his power, not their power, that he would bring the work to pass. And so the worship of a true disciple is focused on Jesus Christ. And the work of a true disciple is empowered by the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. And then notice finally, the witness of a true disciple. We saw the worship and the work What about the witness of a true disciple? Well, notice what it says in verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now notice this is a compelling witness. It's a compelling witness. In fact, the words go and teach and baptize 
are all in what we call grammatically the imperative mood. That is to say that this is an ongoing command. It's a compelling command upon the church. It's not something we do one time or one day a week. It's something that the church is always busy doing. We're always to be witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15 that we're to be ready always to give an answer to any man that asketh a reason of the hope that is within us with fear and trembling. That means it may be at the market tonight. It may be at the barbershop tomorrow. It may be with your neighbor the next day. But God says, I want you to be ready all the time to tell somebody about my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all how we see here in this compelling witness, the opportunity that we are to be compelled to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts chapter 20 about the church at Ephesus. The Bible says in Acts 20, 20, Paul writing, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, we must say to the, to the Lord tonight, Lord God, help me to realize and to remember that this great commission is an ongoing, compelling commission. Help me to look for opportunities to give someone a gospel tract, to invite someone to church, to tell someone else how I was saved. Sometimes people say, well, I, I don't like doing it that way, and I don't think I should have to do that. One lady came up to an evangelist years ago named D.L. Moody, and she said to D.L. Moody, she said, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you give that altar call at the end of your preaching. I don't like the way you do that. And Mr. Moody said, well, you know, I don't, I don't really like the way that I witness either. He said, um, how do you witness? She said, well, I don't really witness. He said, then I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. You know something? However you do it, just do it. Just find a way to tell someone else about Jesus Christ. There are so many ways, and oh, that we would be looking for those ways and those opportunities, that we would be compelling uh, in our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not only a compelling witness, it's a converting witness. The Bible says that we're to teach all nations, that is, to make disciples. They are to understand that they are sinners and that they need Christ as their Savior and to turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. I remember years ago, the first time, I had a couple come to get saved. I was still in Bible college, and I was preaching through the Gospel of John. We had about 70 in the little church that morning. As I was preaching that morning, I uh, preached through the passage on you must be born again. I stood to lead the singing. We sang a song back then, oftentimes still sing it these days, just as I am without one plea, and that thy blood was shed for me. I had a pianist back in those days that only knew how to play one song, and that song was Just a Closer Walk With Thee. And so it didn't really matter what we sang. She played Just a Closer Walk with Thee. So I was leading just as I am. She was playing Just a Closer Walk with Thee. And really, I was just doing what I saw done in college and all growing up. I was just up there uh, leading in Just As I Am. And suddenly, something happened. Fred and Alice Riley came to the front. It so shocked me, I looked at Fred and I said, what'd you come up here for? He said, well, you said that Jesus said you must be born again. And I got so excited, I, I quit leading the singing, took them into the side room, led them through the plan of salvation again. Fred and Alice Riley prayed and accepted Christ as Savior. I was 18 years old. I was so thrilled that God had used me to lead someone to Christ. I want to tell you something. I've never gotten over that. 
Every Sunday morning when that happens, I just praise the Lord. Out on soul winning when that happens, I just praise the Lord. There's nothing greater than seeing someone's life completely changed by the power and by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a compelling witness, but it's a converting witness. And the greatest thing about this church is when people are converted by trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Then let me say this finally, it's a complete witness. You're going to notice that if you look. It says, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. You see, it's not just that we're getting the gospel out. That's the most important part. But then people need to have the follow-up work. They need to know what it is to be baptized. They need you to tell them what it means, identifying with Christ. They need to know what it is to be trained in all things whatsoever he has commanded us. I remember in that first church I was pastoring while in Bible college, we didn't have a baptistry. We used to go up to the city pool. I'll never forget it. The lifeguard would blow the whistle. She'd say, it's time to baptize. The Baptists are here. Everybody out of the pool. And they would sit around the edge of the pool and we would baptize and, and uh, give the gospel as well at that time. It's a public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Acts 20 and 26, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men for I have not shunned to declare unto you the gospel of God. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means that your worship is for the Lord Jesus Christ completely focused on Christ. It means that your work is done in the power of the Spirit of Christ, in the power of the Word of God, and it means that your witness is ongoing, always going out, always telling others how they can be saved and why they need to be baptized and training them and helping them along the way maybe showing them where the book of Ephesians is, maybe buying them their first Bible, but always investing your life in others so that they might know the same joy that we know, that our sins are forgiven and that we have a home in heaven. Every church needs real disciples, people that live it out, people that worship the way that we should worship and people that work in the power of the Spirit and people who truly witness continually for the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us to be these kinds of disciples in this city. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.